Are we okay forcing people to do things they don't want to do? It's the founding ideas that make our country great. Caesar was garbage, and so are today's bureaucrats. You're listening to Self-Evident and Forgotten. Here are your hosts, Stanton, Christie, and Cody. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Self-Evident and Forgotten, hosted by your favorite Colorado trio in our October in the news, we chatted about uh, supply chain woes uh, that are wreaking havoc on stores across the whole country. And no doubt, as we said in our episode, that COVID is likely at play here. But today, we're going to see that, like most social problems, government probably has its dirty hands in here somewhere. Uh, We're going to chat about how the media and current government officials are talking about the supply chain, uh, including the Biden administration, of course. Then we'll see some specific reasons why customers are having a hard time getting uh, the most basic goods into their homes. And I will take you on an economic analysis of the whole mess. And we're going to wrap it up with a nice little bow on the principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But first, a random question of the episode. Christy and Cody, I asked you a Halloween question last time, and I'll see you a second one since it just happened. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Like, I mean, Reese's cups in any form, fashion. No, 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 not your favorite candy. And maybe, maybe there's some like rich neighborhoods that put like a whole Reese's, two Reese's cups into your basket. But, like most people have like the little, like little things that they put into kids' baskets, right? Now, if that's Reese's, go for it. But I'm just, I just want to make sure. I'm sorry, let me rephrase Reese's cups in any form <laughs> or fashion. Okay, okay, fair enough. You, sometimes fair you enough. get like the pumpkin ones during Halloween. Sometimes you get just a single cup. Sometimes they're the mini cups. I I, I don't care. You combine chocolate and Reese's peanut butter and Cody's happy for at least 15 <laughs> seconds. Include little Reese's pieces that look like M&Ms. Oh, Re- uh, Reese's pieces will do. Happy to, happy to, happy to indulge. All right, Cody is a peanut man. Reese's peanut butter specifically yeah that's a good choice um we went we took our kids to a church last night and they were giving out big chocolate things good heavens it's like my son got so many reese's peanut butter cups seriously i'm coming to christy's house my husband is a fan of not me so um he will be happy as well but i would pick um i'm gonna go with chocolate too even though i know not all neighborhoods do it but um milky way is mine somewhere like the caramel chocolate combination you took mine. I, I you know, I, I milk the, like especially the little Milky Ways. Yes, the like tiny full, ones. Yeah, sometimes like a full Milky Way is like just too much, too much gooiness. But yep. popping those little small bite sized Milky Ways on repeat is just I don't know. It's psychological. It's so good. Better. I don't know what it is. And like, is there dark chocolate? I don't know if you've had those. Those might come out at Christmas time. The midnight Milky Ways are pretty yes. good. Yes, thank you. Those ones. They are. And I was a. One of the neighborhoods I lived in when I was a kid, some one one house on the street gave out like full sized, like real candy bars. And my brothers and I would always go to that house and then we would 
run like a couple of houses down and then like change pieces of our costumes and go back and see how many times you could lap through that one house with different oh, iterations geez. of our costumes. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they found out like they totally knew after like two passes, but they still, they humored us for a couple more. Wait, I've seen that <laughs> anarchist before. <laughs> <laughs> been an anarchist since it meant getting extra candy bars at halloween well in order to get <laughs> extra candy bars you're gonna have to actually get your hands on candy bars in the first place well and that's the problem and i don't know if reese's are manufactured in the united states but it's time that cody starts stockpiling it's time to start stockpiling which may or may not explain why we're having such a hard time getting our hands on anything cody's stockpiling all the reese's cups <laughs> sorry guys I've, I've single-handedly backed up the entire supply chain. <laughs> All those ships held out in California. They're just floating around in, in, in the Bay Area. Well, we are... My back-ordered Reese's Cups. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've strained this joke as far as it'll go. Wow. I love this joke. This joke is great. Uh, just as a reminder for everyone, okay, when we're talking about the supply chain, we are talking about getting the product that is manufactured in one place delivered put on market and bought at the end we're talking about this whole thing called the supply chain right getting the resources to make the good making the good shipping the good transporting the good within country putting on the shelves all those things right we're dealing with a problem right now uh, everywhere but including the united states where you just can't get your hands on the goods that you traditionally were able to do it's just hard to get a hold of things um and there's a lot of problems that go into this uh, uh, and we're going to talk about the economics of it, but um, I, I want to start with, you know, if this is a major national issue, which it is, where does our national leadership stand, right? Krista, do you, do you have, I mean, you are our local resident politico, where is the Biden administration dealing with this? Ah, well, I would, I would personally contend that they're not dealing with it, but um, they have said a lot, <laughs> they've said a lot more in the news about it recently, especially with the G20 summit, uh, Joe Biden and some of his European allies are, and a few other allies are attempting to come up with a government based plan on how to stop uh, these kind of supply demand supply chain issues in the future, like how do you create what a government sponsored stockpile I, i'm very unclear on the details because they're sort of hashing it out on the international level and of course a lot of agreements no matter what you know joe biden says about it it has to come back and work its way through congress or the senate or other channels here in the united states so i mean a lot of times what happens at d20 or other summits or un meetings are big, a lot of talk and very little action because i don't know if i'm the only one who thinks so but i don't I don't think I am not sure that Joe Biden is 100 percent capable right now of coming up with co comprehensive answers to anything, much less a uh, big issue like the supply chain right now. But is Joe Biden coherent? Well, I think I think that's the question. Um, he's attempting to paint himself that way at the G20 summit. But I'm not sure that a real comprehensive plan is going to come out of that, especially when you have so many countries involved, so many different voices who then have to go back to their own countries. I think it's sort of a feel good summit at this point, to be honest with you. Um, other than that, of course, the Biden administration and a number of cabinet officials, commerce, transportation have made their own statements. I mean, Pete Buttigieg, who everyone on here knows is 
one of my not favorites. You're absolute, just delightful man to hate. <laughs> I know he's he is close to my age, several years older, but. I'm just like, how do you, how do you go down this rabbit trail, my friend? So <laughs> there's so many things that he says, but he's trying to pitch Joe Biden's plan and that this supply chain problem is actually, it stems from something good. He's like, it's because it's Americans buying so many things coming out of the pandemic. And because Joe Biden is pulling us out of you know, this economic, almost a recession. It's a good problem to have, he says. That's what he's saying. So he's talking about that it's great and that our demand and that we're finally spending money is creating this problem. And then out of the other side of their mouth, you know, the press secretary and other politicos in the Biden administration are saying, well, just lower your expectations, Americans. Basically, this is here to stay is what that means behind the scenes. Forget the good old days of being a first world country. Yeah, I mean, hey, America doesn't deserve that, according to them. Like, who are we to, to you know, to be the world power that we are? This are unfettered capitalism was never sustainable. <laughs> we were always going to have to come back down. See, that's what they think. You got it. Oh, <laughs> how dare you be able to buy the toys that you want to buy for your kids at Christmas? That's just privilege. You yeah. should just make do with what we can get in through the ports whenever we can actually get it in through the ports. No joke. Yeah. These, these G, like you were talking about this, like world conference, this is like the, the G20 conference or, what, or whatever. The yeah. summit. Yeah. Yeah. The, these summits are always a joke. Like they, oh, never, they are. They never get around anywhere. Yeah. I like to toot their own horn. And it's, it's just like, oh, good job. Yeah, yeah, you made no points. Nothing new. Pretty sure I saw a video of Biden sneaking a quick nappy, nappy nap during the summit. So you could, I can't imagine anything all that important is getting done. No, I mean, I think it's all, I mean, I don't know for sure. I've never been to one, but (laughs) I'm not that high up. I, um, I think there are a lot more just for show. And, and I'm sure there's some benefit allies talking to allies. There's certainly benefit in keeping international relationships. But to, I don't know, pretend for the public that this is some, it was being pitched as like one of the most important summits in the history and future of the world. And they were more going down the climate change route. But all the issues that are being brought up at this summit, they're pitching it as some masterful plan for the world. It's like, come on, guys, anyone who studies this knows it's a bunch of talk. Yeah, it feels like a novice attempt at creating like some world united order. And like, yes. Yeah. Yeah whatever cody uh, i mean these these are a bunch of airbags just blowing hot air um and you kind of brought this topic up last time right this this whole supply chain thing you know uh, chrissy mentioned like uh, a, a national stockpile kind of thing like what, what's actually what, what's happening on the ground like why are we even talking about national stockpiles right now well uh, because we can't get anything into the damn ports (laughs) so so essentially so i mean obviously the way that shipping works is things come in they get shipped to the united states on literal ships then they get offloaded in ports of entry and then from there they get sent through trucks into the united states so it's this whole long chain of events right right well the two uh as far as i'm aware the two largest ports in the united states are la long beach um and or yeah and they handle about 40% of the overall import export of the United States. Um, and so, so it's a, it's a direct point of tension in the system. And 
I mean, if you've ever seen what these ports look like, seen pictures, videos of them, check it out. I mean, there there are they are massive. There are hundreds of cranes that are constantly unloading containers off of I mean, ships. These are the sites where I mean, being the port administrator is like still a major political assignment. It's like a huge deal. Oh yeah, I mean, they're the mo- probably the most powerful person in the area. I mean, they have oversight over, like I said, forty percent of goods shipped into the United States. That's huge. So recently uh, some individuals went and looked and to see what was going on in these ports and it just doesn't, it's, it looks horrible. And so kind of like I talked about last episode. So you have this massive backup of container ships that are literally just sitting off of the port, sitting out in the coastal waters off of California. Are they empty? Are they full? They're full and they can't get into port in order to offload their goods. So ordinarily they would come in, the cranes would remove the containers. Those containers would be loaded on trucks. The trucks would drive them into the appropriate place. Those containers would be unloaded. And then here's where we get to the key. Then the trucks would drive the empty containers back. Those empty containers would then get loaded onto ships. And then those ships would go back to ports that are exporting goods for them to be reloaded and make this journey again, whole cycle, right? Are we are, now, now, it's not like you know, one container is offloaded on the ship taken across country and then brought back and put back on it's that it's a continual cycle there's always like as full containers are being offloaded empty containers are being unloaded at the same time so the ship can just head right back to its home port right correct okay or if the u.s is exporting something they might be loaded up with a full container of u.s goods and then might be going out to another port somewhere else in order to offload those goods right as we get chinese widgets they get american grain or whatever yeah, yeah. I don't know how much America, I mean, China's not importing like any American goods. I know that they were supposed to under this agreement that Trump had entered yeah, into. Bad, and then, and then, yeah. <laughs> China so bad. Probably, <laughs> that's, about, that's the bottom line. China bad. Yeah. So they're probably not, China isn't really buying many American made goods, but there are American goods that are being exported. So they're either being unloaded, those, those ships as full containers are coming off are either getting empty containers from the U.S. or refilled containers from the U.S. And then it's this whole cycle. Um, so so the, the, the politicians, you know, the Biden administration is doing everything it can in order to help ease these tensions of all these ships being sitting off the ports. So what they did is they decided just to, to allow the ports to be open for 24 hours. Were they and not so- operating continuously for 24 hours to begin with? Welcome to the first damn question. Like, is why? Is that not a thing? How is it? How's the federal government being like, look, we don't want you guys to, to operate when you guys need to operate. We're going to tell you how long you can operate during the day. So McDonald's is practically 24 hours. The port of 40 percent wasn't 24 hours. Well, don't offend McDonald's. They are run significantly more efficiently than the federal government is like, come on, Stanton. Like I imagine I can- these ports are like municipal governments, like special districts. Yeah, there it's well, it depends on where they are. It depends on the, the governmental structure. I'm not sure what the literal political structure of the Long Beach LA port stuff is. It's confusing, and that's the only thing that we need to know. Amen. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so the government at its behest, uh, out of the kindness of its heart to help ease our Christmas pains. And I, I may keep making the Christmas joke, but let's remember, like that's the joke because like that's what people are thinking about right now, and that's what people are buying a lot of is thinking about like. Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas goods, but we're also talking about like daily essentials. Like there's a lot of those things that you use day in and day out that are imported in the United States, like toilet paper, paper towel, meat, 
vegetables. Like there's all sorts. I mean, anybody who's listening that has like fruit and vegetables sitting in your, your kitchen, go and look at the stickers and see where they come from. See what ship it. This is, these things are all constantly coming into the U S so we're not talking. I mean, part of the Biden administration's and these, the, the media's plug to make this about like, you better suck it up for Christmas and you're too privileged is them obfuscating the idea that like, Oh, this is also the oranges that you're eating sitting in your kitchen right now. Right. Like they want to make it seem like it's you complaining about like the, your privileged holiday, but really it's like literally everything that we consume. And so basically, so that was their, their first step. And then now what I saw was really interesting is uh, the commerce secretary Raimondo uh, did an interview with CBS news and basically was saying that like, no, this is this is solely a product of COVID. And it's kind of what Kirstie was talking about. Is like there's more money in the market now, so people are buying more things, which is great. So she's got that same line as as Buttigieg, and then also says that, and this is what cracked me up. And I quote: "Fundamentally, supply chains and logistics are run by the private sector." People say to me, "Will Christmas gifts be delivered?" To which I say, "Call FedEx." Like such a, like, ah, that's all FedEx's problem. And then (laughs) she continues, you know, this isn't what the government does. What we are doing, and the president is committed to this, we're using every tool in our toolbox to be supportive, to help unstick the ports. Like, what a load of garbage. That, oh, okay. So (laughs) let me just get this straight. She's saying that the supply chain woes, by the way, uh, these supply chains, which consistently increased their operations, consistently were providing goods to the billions of people of the world, were consistently doing that for decades leading up to COVID, that the supply chain problems now is the private sector's doing that it's their created problem that government has nothing to do with the supply chain problems and that they're trying to actually fix the problem i i mean i this is all fedex's fault stanton which is this is pretty much uh what government does when it doesn't (laughs) want to take the fall for what is happening and what is about to happen like when was the last time you actually heard the administration say Oh, we trust private corporations and private businesses to use the free market and do their thing. I mean, when when COVID restrictions and regulations were an issue, it was the government telling them what to do with the vaccine mandate that Biden has put on, oh, private businesses that they, I thought, trusted of 100 employees or more. But now that, you know, they're going to take a hit for something and maybe people's Christmases are going to be messed up. Oh, hey, this this would be like. This would be like telling a, a, a trucking company, listen, your trucks can have to go 10 miles below the stated speed limit. And then a year later, when things are taking three times as long to get to stores, that government says, this is the trucking company's problem. They should have realized they should have fixed this problem already. Oh, and yeah. We're going we're to step in. We're going to regulate the trucking companies more to fix this problem. When in reality, they caused the... Di- <clears throat> yeah. Got it. So... Let's let's look at the ways that this is definitely not the federal government's doing. Mm-hmm. And then let's look at the ways this is also definitely not the state's doing, right? So first of all, we've got all of the closures because of COVID, right? So you've got forced closures, which forced manufacturing to shut down, which forced people to be locked into their homes. 
but also with those forced closures, you got an injection of cash, right? So you got these these stimulus dollars under both Trump and Biden. Oh, I, I got you. I got you on the injected cash. That's I I'm I'm ready to talk about that one here. So so we'll come going. You yeah. Going. So we'll come back to injected cash. But you've got people locked down. You got people not working. You got manufacturing stopping. U.S. manufacturing, but even manufacturing worldwide, which isn't the problem of our federal government, but that is a, is a factor. And then you inject cash, so people are buying goods. Now, supposedly, we're coming out of a pandemic and people are back in society purchasing goods, preparing for holidays, these things, right? So you get this huge ramp up in supply after you just shut down, or sorry, this huge ramp up in demand after you just shut down the like factors of supply. Stan's going to talk about this economic principle later, I'm sure. But so that's one problem. Two, vaccine mandates, right? And oh, so yeah. some of these ports probably fall under the government contractor vaccine mandate. So that one would be a federal mandate. The OSHA mandate, the hundred, the companies over 100 employees has not hit yet. But you know that some of these companies are anticipating it. And so as soon as they heard it, they started putting this into place. You also have the federal government incentivizing people not to go to work for an extended period of time by providing grants to the states in order to allow them to up their unemployment benefits for people who were off of work because of COVID, whether they were laid off or decided not to go back to work, doesn't matter. So you've got the, the turning off of the supply, the spiking of the demand, You've got vaccine mandates, which are stopping some people from going to work, and you've got the incentivizing of a lot of people staying home. And so all of these things are contributing to this horrible problem at the ports where you've got a shortage of workers and more people trying to bring things in. And so they've created all this problem, right? So this is all, you can put this all directly on the federal government, no problem. Like that's all very clear. The other problem is one of the things that I was talking about uh, last episode in our news roundup is these crazy zoning laws around the ports. Right, and so right, right. for those of you that that didn't catch last episode, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, uh, what, what you have happening is really this the choke point is on these these empty containers and these containers that are being offloaded on the ships. So basically these shipping trucks have kind of like specialized chassis and these chassis accept like a shipping container. They take like one container, maybe two drive them to their destination where they're unloaded. And then they get shifted around to different companies and on different trucks. Well, the problem is those trucks, once they unload those containers, they can't get them back on ships. And in some of these major storage yards that are surrounding the ports, zoning only allows them to stack empty containers too high. And so because they can only stack empty containers too high, they get this crazy backlog because they can't put empty containers anywhere. And so now there are trucks with chassis that have empty containers sitting on them. And those same trucks now can't go and accept a full container because they can't unload the empty. And because of zoning laws, they can't stack the empty on top of the other two because that would then violate local law and, and they would hit, be hit with huge fines. And so I saw, I saw a picture of these trucks lined up outside of a port, just stretching forever. It re honestly reminded me, do you remember when the Suez Canal got uh, closed off for a little bit? Yeah. Just a bunch of ships just waiting to get through. It felt a lot like that, that there are just a bunch of, uh, instead of ships, it was just trucks just 
empty, waiting to be productive. They couldn't. Yeah. And then it's not like we could just manufacture semi chassis out of nowhere. Right. And so like, it's not like we could just make a bunch more of these that these trucks can unhook and hook up to new chassis. It just doesn't work. A lot of the shipping is also going into Texas for, for like storage port facilities and storage facilities for containers because there's no facilities in California that are accepting the containers. And so you're getting this federal government feedback loop stacked on top of this local government feedback loop. And it's just driving everything to craziness. What's interesting is some ships are now going all the way down through the Panama Canal when they can and are unloading in the Gulf because for some reason, I don't know why, some of those Gulf state ports are not as encumbered uh, as the ports in California. And I just really can't figure out what's different between like Texas. There's, there's got to be some lone star out there that's doing yeah. like a better job. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Interesting <laughs> to think that there's some states in the Gulf that might be handling the pandemic better. You know, yeah, I, shocking. I, I shocking. Chrissy, I have a friend of mine who who said that, you know, you know, I know that government causes all these problems, but, you know, this is just government had to kind of deal with the pandemic. They had to solve this problem. And, you know, we've talked about why that's kind of nonsensical. Right. We've talked about that. But let's let's just assume that kind of on its face that the government had to deal with this problem. Then my friend says this all this does is reveal the fragility and weakness of of the market of the supply chains. This is, you know, this is a weakness of capitalism. And I had to look at my friend, like, even if I did accept the premise that government had to do this, that is a nonsense bull argument. This, if anything, this doesn't show that the market and, 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 and capitalism is weak. This should show us how deadly government can be with just one policy. I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same, but I I, just, I had to look at my friend. Just are 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 you this dumb or are you this ignorant? I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> right. No. And, and I mean, I don't know your friend, but I would tend to say for a lot of people, it's more ignorance, especially because depending on what schools they went to and all that. Sometimes the definition they're given of capitalism and socialism and free markets are actually like quite wrong, and so their conception of what is creating this and maybe the defense of government they've heard and they don't know how deep government's hands are into regulations that, I guess, harness and stop uh, small businesses and free markets from operating. So yeah, certainly to blame this on capitalism or free market is, is patently ridiculous. And it, it is pretty easy to tie this to government regulations. I mean, the, the problem you guys were just talking about with all the containers, one of the things that's coming out of the G20 summit that Biden and his administration are proposing, and this is, of course, just what he's proposing, it really has nothing to do with the other countries, but it would be all those containers that are backed up in the ports in California. If the companies don't get them moving fast enough, they've put deadlines on them now, and now they're going to be charged 100 per container per day that they go oh. past the deadline starting today in fact november 1st oh so no that's their solution find them <laughs> find these businesses that if anything this incentivizes companies to cut corners and to cheat to violate other regulations in order to offload their empty con- right right wow but it's, it's quite the massive circle of regulation upon regulation upon oh let's 
let's get you to violate the regulations by finding you if you don't follow the new ones that actually would make you violate the old ones. And it absolutely is a perfect illustration of how layered government regulations from federal, state, all the way down to local, it make it almost impossible for companies to operate in a way that benefits the consumer. This fine reeks of Janet Yellen. Was this her idea? <laughs> well, the source I've read so far has not disclosed whose idea it was, but that'd be lovely to find out. So, so for those, of, yeah, so those listening that are kind of confused why we all reacted so viscerally, like, right, so the idea behind this now is that they're, the federal government is saying, like, well, it's not our problem that they're not able to, that they're not moving fast enough. That, that they they're not able to comply with all of our BS bureaucracy. Yeah, so they're they're basically blaming the companies, and they'll, so they'll fine them $100 a day. The problem is, with all of these regulations that we're talking about, right, there's all this, like, this stuff in the way of them operating efficiently. It's not because these companies... Look, these companies are not incentivized to be sitting on empty containers. So obviously it's not in their best interest, these companies. There's no reason why they don't want to keep these trucks rolling. So obviously there's something else getting in the way. So instead of the federal government figuring out what else is getting in the way and removing that barrier, and hint, that barrier is government regulation, they're going to just find them on top of it. So you're going to have companies do one of two things, right? They're either going to cut corners and they're going to violate government regulations because they have no choice, which then exposes them to liability for violating the government regulation in addition to the, instead of paying the fine, or companies are going to decide it's too expensive to be in this business because they can't afford to maintain either the violation of the regulation or the $100 fine and they're going to stop doing this. And both of those are quite obviously very bad results and don't help the scenario. And I think what's most interesting here, right, is like, as a constitutionalist, as a declarationist, we argue over the Commerce Clause a lot, right? The Commerce Clause is used to just, so so Congress has the power to regulate commerce amongst the several states, along with, with other nations. And so this has been used to justify just about everything that Congress has done. It's either Commerce Clause or Tax and Spend Clause or Necessary and Proper. One of those three is behind just about every federal law that you can think of off the top of your head. So a lot of people are really annoyed with the Commerce Clause. One of the strongest cases you could make under Commerce Clause authority would be the authority to control the ports that are used to ship goods into landlocked states. I mean, that is almost directly related to what that kind of that purpose of the Commerce Clause would be. They have the strongest argument that they could use to actually exert some level of congressional authority over these. And their response is the executive branch, not Congress, is going to fine private companies for complying with federal regulation to incentivize to not comply with federal regulation, both of which, again, are monitored by the executive branch instead of by Congress. Does anyone get the idea or the impression that this all feels like deliberate sabotage? Like they're trying to kill these companies to prove that capitalism doesn't work, to enact some greater, I, I don't know, this sounds very conspiratorial, but I this, this feels deliberate. This feels, it, 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 can they be this stupid? I don't think they can. I think they know what they're doing. I Maybe that's too much credit to the Biden administration, but it feels like that. 
I mean, if you look at their resumes, the people involved in doing these things, to your point, they're not stupid people. I guess if education and degrees <laughs> and positions you've held are at all a measure right. of what the people you who judges know. is exactly qualified to be the transportation secretary. Uh, right? Not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, but- so there's a little debate there, but I, I, I agree. I mean, especially when you're in a position like that, you can't use ignorance as an excuse. Like you are actively choosing to do something. You need to be responsible for what it does to people. I don't think it's that Stanton. I really don't think that it's this intentional move to like kill the shipping industry or to kill the, um, the supply chain or no to, secret desire to nationalize the transportation industry or the ports. I, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I think because look, if they wanted to do that, they would just, I mean, they just do it. Yeah. Government hasn't been shy about forcing its power on people. It's not doing it in secretive ways. I mean, look, you've got somebody that, is running the treasury that has held the three major financial seats and has, does she have her PhD in finance? I, or economics, or, that's one of the two. I mean, or, oh, probably in, in economics. She either has her PhD or her master's. Oh, we're talking right? about Janet Yellen, the current yeah. sec- secretary of the treasury, who prior treasury. to that was the uh, chairwoman of the Federal Reserve Board, which yep. oversees, uh, if treasury oversees, uh, uh, not monetary policy, but oh man, I feel like an idiot now. Financial policy, and the Fed deals with monetary policy. What was the third one? Um, she was uh, SEC Federal, chair, Federal Reserve SEC chair. I don't remember. Was we talked it? about this in our nominations. Episode, I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. She's been. What has she been? Federal Reserve Secretary of the Treasury. She was on the Clinton's Council of Economic Advisors. That's it. That's the other one. That was the one. Yeah. Um, and try to think she had she either has her like master's or her PhD. And she's not a dumb woman. Economics, right? She's a Keynesian. She she's wrong, but she's not dumb. Yeah. Well, and so that's the thing, right? I, like I don't like if you look at this is this is straight out of the Keynesian economics playbook. Like this isn't something shocking from them. This is their theory of the world. So I don't think that it's this like deep desire to, you know, break the system to, to nationalize it. They just truly don't understand how markets work. Like they have this conflated sense of how policy works and how economics work and how markets work. And they refuse to acknowledge that they're just factually and functionally wrong. And, in, and, and so they can't see that they're getting in the way. And so they're like, well, obviously we've done everything we can to make it better for the companies and they're doing something wrong. So we're going to find them for doing something wrong because they don't understand that they just need to remove government regulation out of the way. They can't imagine that they're so incompetent in their push and their brunt and their use of force that it makes everything worse. Allow me then to enlighten our secretary on what is true, right? No, Cody mentions that she's a Keynesian, the school of economics developed by Lord Maynard Keynes. No, the, uh, what has been enforced since hell, since at least FDR. We have talked a little bit before about economics on, the, on this podcast. We're not an econ podcast, but we've talked about it because I myself would consider myself what's called an Austrian economist of the Austrian school, because the first people who developed this were, surprise, from Austria. 
What's at stake here? Yes, there's a lot of reasons for the shortages. Government regulations impeding on travel, upon workplace, et cetera, et cetera. But the data seems to suggest, like our Keynesian friends, like the Biden administration, it does seem to suggest that the demand for goods is actually higher, right? Global shipping volume is higher than the pre-pandemic numbers. And a lot of that was because as people had to stay home, they started to buy uh home office supplies. They started to buy more kitchenware to you know, feed kids cooped up in their houses. I don't, know, I don't know if any of you did that, but that's uh, any of you like Cody, you have kids. Chris, did you, did you have to do, did you have to buy, you know, more kitchen supplies to do more cooking at home, like at lunchtime or whatever? Uh, I started like making sourdough bread and other fun at home things. More ingredients, right? Things that <laughs> we none of us right. had ever tried before. And like, that's a thing now. Yep, we firmly is, established really that Cody purchased a TV. We, yes. We've covered this oh, yeah, very we clearly. We, Christy <laughs> fed her children and Cody bought a TV. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> so people are actually demanding more stuff, right? That's true enough. But while the Biden administration says that, you know, this is because the economy is doing great, people are buying more. The reality is actually far more sinister. If you will recall, our episode on inflation. I don't think Christy was actually present for that one. I think Cody and I did that solo. We did an episode on inflation specifically because of how deadly it is. It's this nasty bug frequently created by the Federal Reserve. As the Fed prints more money because Congress keeps borrowing to finance its spending sprees, uh, the value of money decreases with each new dollar, right? This is, this is usually pretty innate to most people. The, the problem is that none of this new money was created by any real increased economic value, any, any real activity. In fact, there are still 5 million fewer American workers than there, were, than, than there was pre-pandemic. If anything, we should have fewer wages, less economic activity, less demand from customers. All of the new money, so think about this. This new money is backed up by nothing but a printer. Of all the money printed by the United States ever, it, we, you can even just say from the 1960s, of all the money ever printed, 40% of the amount of money that we have printed, nearly half, was printed in just the last 18 months. Our money has that lost- That is a revolting figure. It is disgusting. Our money has lost so much value because half of the money that has ever been printed has been printed last less than the last two years. That that should tell you that the money that we have in circulation now is worth nothing. I mean, have you ever noticed lately that groceries are more expensive? Anna and I went to get a small basket of groceries recently. We had maybe four uh, four bags total, like plastic bags, not like the big cloth bags. We were over eighty dollars for that basket. Okay, the policies of government shutdowns. Biden economics is one of inflation, and it burdens the lower and middle classes the most. We are seeing these shortages because the government has created artificially higher demand for goods. This demand isn't real. Yes, people are demanding more, but it's backed up by no real value. This money comes from nowhere. And so as people, as there's, because there's no increased economic activity, because there's no real value being created, this increased demand is basically 
grabbing onto resources, grabbing onto goods that reveals the eternal problem of scarcity. And it is rearing its ugly head. There's no real value added. So when we increase demand, we have to start pulling resources from other places. And that's causing these shortages. The resources are sucked away at higher than normal paces because of fake demand, because of government-induced fake demand. And, and that induced demand is the hallmark uh, is the hallmark of Keynesian economics. <sighs> I'm so frustrated, guys. I feel so just defeated. Well, it's just, I mean, it's just crazy. The, uh, this idea that you can't, the idea that you could just shove money into the dollar because it's part of your, your national, right? Like this treatment of like each nation as their own kind of like bubble on this own thing just fundamentally misunderstands how this all works. This idea that you can just shove cash in, force spending, and thus then everything's going to be great. It just totally misunderstands supply and demand. It totally misunderstands inflation. And it's all of us that are going to be on the hook for this, right? So in this printing of money, what we're doing is we're increasing, we're going to be increasing the debt reliance for all Americans. Like that bill's going to come due. Right. So Keynesian economics basically operates under this idea that like you're never going to have to pay your debt. Right. This idea. Well, and this there's this principle, too, of as long as you're the world superpower, who's going to call it into who's going to call that bill due? Well, two things. One, that's not a good thing. Right. Like you don't want to be the guys that are just like, yeah, I don't feel like paying and come and take it. That's like if you loaned your friend a hundred bucks and you're like, hey, man, you know, I had a rough month. It's been a little bit since you paid me. Would you mind, you know, giving me the hundred bucks back? And he's like six foot eight, 280 and like jacked. And he goes, well, look, I've got a hundred dollars in my wallet. Come and take it, buddy. Like that's a bad guy. Like we can, yeah. Like that's not a cool person. So the other, or alternatively, right? Like the guy. So let's say that you are the nice guy that, but you had to borrow some money. And then your friend goes, yeah, no problem. Just pay me, you know, like 20 bucks a month on this. You're like, all right, sweet. And so you pay him the 20 bucks a month, but then you need to borrow more. And then your interest payment goes up and then you need to borrow more. And then your interest payment goes up. All you're doing is now you're just paying. Like A lot of people are very familiar with this paying in this cycle of just paying off interest and never paying down principal. It's the reason why debts are always climbing. Like, so you've got these like weird interactions. Also, what happens if someone gets some military power and can call that bill due, what's going to happen to us? I mean, mm-hmm. like that's a scary prospect, this idea that we might be fundamentally like or like leveraged against somebody. I mean, it's just not a good policy to have. And plus, so like all this debt is going to be shouldered by Americans. And then we talked about inflation too, right? Stanton, we talked about this previously of inflation is just sneaky debt. Like, it basically you it's have a, a dollar. tax. It's a hidden tax. That's a, that's what we could. That's a better way to call it. Uh, like you have a dollar, and then tomorrow your dollar's not worth a dollar anymore, right? And so it's basically just like somebody taking ten cents off the top of it, even though nothing ever happens and you never really see it. It's just cash sitting in your bank account. You know what the right. really terrifying part of this is, and Christy, you might you might get a kick out of this because I imagine this is going to happen soon. And I imagine it, it might, it might just happen before the election cycle, though. I hope not. The 
worst part of this is that what should ha- what should happen is that as demand for certain goods goes up, other sectors have to go down in order to compensate what customers are wanting, right? Well, the problem is because of how governments work, they want this demand to go up, but they want no sector to ever go down. So they artificially like keep all, everything up so nothing goes down. But because none of it's supported by anything real, eventually you're going to have shortages in, in, in certain sectors and they can't meet it. And so they're going to have, they're, they're, they're basically going to have to shut down. They, they've overextended themselves and now you're going to see real layoffs. And those layoffs are going to cause real, real unemployment. Not, not this artificially induced unemployment with extended benefits. Like you're fired and you're not going to come back. And the government might give you that extended benefits pay, but we're going to, we're going to see stagflation again. We're going to see a recession with inflation, just like we did in the 70s. And it's going to happen under a, a Democrat president once more. Yeah. No, I mean, I think as much as I want to say, oh, yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, I mean, I think if we're being realistic, that's what the signs point to, which is reasonably scary, I think, for the average American who sits and thinks about it. And and to your point, Stanton, it's not going to be artificial unemployment that technically you could correct at this point. It's going to be real unemployment which also leads to real shortages and the things that people think they need for their life and the things a lot of Americans granted have been accustomed to and where we are accustomed to more than we need. Like that is a fact. However, that's when people start freaking out. And that <laughs> that's when you get to a point in society when people do start buying in weird patterns and getting rid of things and just having odd behavior based in fear, which creates yet more inflation and more shortages and less jobs. And it's a cycle that perpetuates itself. It is very hard to get out of absent a good amount of time when a lot of people's lives and jobs and livelihoods will be wrecked, hopefully not permanently, but a lot of people are going to figure out how are they going to get through that likely the likelihood of that happening in the next little while. I don't want to guess how long or how short. And I think we could get out of it, but I don't think that's likely with who's in charge right now. No. Well, and this idea that like, I mean, we're accustomed to more than we need. Like I agree with it on like a base level statement. Right. But like, that's up to everybody to decide. I mean, if, if you want to be able to, you know, people work really hard in order to be able to buy widget A, knickknack A, whatever they per- want to purchase. Like that's their right. Their- PlayStation Five, new yeah. Xbox, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like, if somebody, oh, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I just mean like I'm not trying to be like, oh, everyone's going to starve and die in America. Like that's more what I'm saying. Like a yeah. shortage in America is not the same as like a famine in Cambodia or Kenya or somewhere like that. Absolutely. And, and I think what, what ticks me off so much about this, though, is that that point is what the administration is using to, like, highlight that maybe you guys just need to check. Yourselves. Be grateful this isn't a famine. Right. Exactly. Right. It's and this that idea. message should not come from government. Exactly. Like, oh, stop blaming us because you just act rich and privileged. Like, we, wait a second. You're the one causing this. And you America want to make us be- guilty. America became rich and privileged because we let businesses do what they needed to do. This, yes. 
<laughs> exactly. And so that's what's most most offensive to me. And actually, the, I should probably stop, keep joking about the Christmas thing, because that's the problem, right? This is being sold as suck it up, buttercup. The fact that you can't buy your child 15 different toys isn't all that bad, because guess what? There's still some food on the shelves and you get to eat. And there are other people in other countries that don't even get to eat tomorrow, right? It's like this idea of them sucking on and trying to make Americans feel guilty for being able to do X, Y, or Z. Do you remember around Independence Day when the Biden administration said that a hot dog was 16 cents less now? And now we're on track to have one of the most expensive Thanksgivings in recent memory? No, no, no. Hold on. Not a hot dog was 16 cents less expensive your entire fourth of july meal was going to be 16 cents so out of everything that you would eat at 14 uh, on the fourth of july you would save 16 cents and now thanksgiving is going to be atrociously expensive and now thanksgiving is going to be the most expensive thanksgiving meal in history to the point that there are that media has created such a frenzy this like corporate media spin up on on stocking goods we're making a joke earlier people cody is not actually stocking reese's cups it's not unnecessary but corporate media is making this big spin up that there are people that are literally buying like thanksgiving turkeys already right i mean it's we're talking about the beginning of november or middle of november like people are already buying things and snapping them up people are already buying stuff for thanksgiving dinner in preparation for not being able to get it Right. Let's go, Brandon. (laughs) You can't now. Great. Now we're now we now we're canceled. We're on an NSA watch list, a CIA, (laughs) FBI watch list. Cody, you already were, and you know it. Hey, okay. Yeah, Cody, especially you. (laughs) I think I'd have to agree with that. (laughs) In fact, I'd be willing to bet that the FBI has probably already wiretapped Christy since she's a she's a high level high level political. Yes, so high, so high. You both are already being watched. If anything, I'm the one. That, that should be worried because I'm just a lowly <laughs> teacher. And now they're going to go, hmm, maybe we can label this guy as a fascist. So like, like how J. Edgar Hoover labeled people as commies. I'm going to be labeled a fascist. It's, hey. just, it's, it's, it's Hoover's ghost all over again. No, nah, man, you're, you're definitely in the category of the parents. You're, you're part of the domestic terrorists that are like spreading these Ooh. ideals to school boards and children, for sure. Interesting. Okay. A lot of categories you can be placed in, but. Okay. Let's. Fun. Let's come back and let's and let's talk about this whole asinine situation from the thing, the things that the reason we do the show, the, the, the essential principles of life, liberty and, and, and the pursuit of happiness. Right. Where where should government be involved in the in the, in the supply chain correction? If anything, in the correction, well, if if we have supply chain problems, right, which we do, if this is a national policy problem, where does the government fit? Oh, this is where Christy and I are going to probably disagree. Probably. They should look at every regulation that they have governing uh, the port and entry in, and they should throw it in the trash. All of them. Just get rid of all of them. Health and human safety, let the corporations deal with it. They'll do it much better than the federal government will regulate. So no OSHA? Of, no. Oh, take that away. Let's let's ditch that. 
let's look at what this idea that government can regulate how long the ports can operate for. Like they're currently letting them operate for 24 hours. We're going to go ahead and get rid of that one. Uh, Anything that's like governing this, the storage of containers, although this sounds like this, it sounds like it's much more of a local problem, but if the feds have any hand in that also, that's got to go away. Like get out of the way. These companies are going to maintain their systems. They're going to operate as best as they can and as efficiently as they can in order to ensure that they are providing the best service for the, the, the cheapest rate. I mean, that that's what they're literally designed to do. And guess what? If like people go and work for those companies and it kind of sucks, they're going to go and work for a competitor instead. And that competitor is going to offer them something better or is going to offer them a better opportunity. The federal government should not be in the business of telling people how they can or cannot make a living and should not be in the business of telling corporations how they can or cannot operate. It is not the proper role of government. It is not what they're here for. And they're very obviously making the problem worse and not better. So that was a very good speech. Bravo, bravo. Uh, from your viewpoint. <laughs> it was well delivered. From a certain for my view. For my campaign. I'm, I'm practicing my new my new speech points. <laughs> I am recruiting candidates, so hey, love you. No, let me know. sorry. <laughs> You're like, oh no, no, not for you. <laughs> I not at all. I'm not practicing for any campaign. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no. Um, actually, I agree with your initial point that the first thing for government to do is get rid of some of these regulations. My, of course, difference would be some, not all. But I, went I do too far think... with OSHA, didn't I? You know, you know, a little. <laughs> I, I think. I think there's so many government organizations, agencies, regulations that some of them began as good or appropriate ideas under the realistic power of government that has just been blown way beyond proportion, way out of control. So, and I know I talked about this before, my general view is rein in a lot of these things. Some of them I support eliminating if we ever talked about which agencies to eliminate. I have lots of ideas on that, but I wouldn't completely eliminate OSHA. I wouldn't pull back every regulation because I do think some of the commerce power given to the federal government does involve ports. So I do I do believe in some regulation of them because while we don't trust government to always operate in the best interest of people, I don't I don't generally trust every single human being, which includes the heads of corporations, to operate in the best interests of other people. So I believe in checks and balances in general. However, the government has gone way outside of checks and balances and completely overregulated. So peeling back a lot of those regulations, especially right now when we're trying to solve a huge national problem, 100% agree with with a lot of them. I want to I take something, because uh, this isn't exactly related to supply chains, but I think it's important. There's something that you said about you believe in checks and balances generally. And Cody, I want to I throw this one to you. Um, I'm, I'm pitting you two together. Uh, I, what I'm, fun. Yeah. All no. checks, no balances. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. I don't know either. <laughs> I really, I, I don't know what the difference, like, I, I, sorry, continue. Um. <laughs> The founding fathers, a lot of founding fathers, not all of them, certainly, but a lot of founding fathers, they were very concerned about overreach of government, right? That, that's, that's for certain, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there was a significant portion of the founding fathers. A couple come to mind. I think John Adams was one of them. 
Jefferson, okay. Jefferson might have been as well, but I need to double check. Basically, the founding era, the people who believed in life, liberty, pursuit of happens, the people who fought the revolution for those principles. A lot of them said, while that is, well, while we need to check government, we also need to ensure that no one private entity becomes too powerful over others. Because they had, a, 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 while well, a lot of them were landed interest, they also wanted to ensure that the landed interest, that there was never like this super monopoly over people, that government could act as a check against overbearing like like the like the idea of the company town that developed in the um late 1800s was abhorrent to the founding to some of the founding fathers and so i ask since we are a show of principles from the founding era life liberty pursuit of happiness one such idea that i would like to propose is that christie has a very founder some founder, some founder era mentality in that while none of us like big government, big business is also something to be wary of that, you know, checks and balances give government some ability to check business and give business some ability to check government to keep everything smaller. I, I don't I don't know where this is going to go, but Cody and Christy, I'd like you to talk about that. Well, so I'm not a hundred percent familiar with what founders and and the sources you would be referring to for these points. Mm-hmm. Um, but but granting the point for I mean, first of all, Adams, like you can't cite Adams at me and say like he's the you know like come on, he was also well, a fan of Adams was a huge fan of forced inoculation. He was a huge fan of a lot of government things. Sure, but but the, but but, the, but this is my point, right? This is my point. There were founders of this great country who had some of those principles. And while while we you know have, I don't know if Chrissy has aversions, but while you and I have aversions to Hamilton, Adams is no Hamilton, and I think you and I can agree to that. Sure. Yeah. Right. He's no Hamilton. Yeah, that's fair. That I think that's fair. And and in the same way that he also was no Patrick Henry. Amen. Which is my point. <laughs> there were there were disagreements among, among the founders, just as we have disagreements today, but they all had a revolutionary spirit. So I want to For bring sure. this discussion to the forefront. Yeah. And so so here's the thing, right? Is like the when we talk about the founders, we talk about their intent, right? We run into this real, this real problem that we don't, we don't convey enough. And that's this idea of you can't just cite to Washington who said X, and that means the government gets to do it, right? You have to inform the, your analysis of the Constitution and the Declaration with what those words meant when they were written, when the, the, the framers signed, and when they were ratified. And a lot of help uh, in that interpretation comes from the people that wrote them, right? So you look at their letters, you look at the Federalist Papers, you look at, you know, their statements, you look at their speeches in, in other states, because a lot of these guys, as soon as they finished the U.S. Constitution, I mean, I mean, some of them before they even finished, they did the U.S. Constitution, were dealing with state constitutions, with dealing with state bill of rights. So there is a lot of really good information out there. But a lot of that stuff very intentionally didn't make it into the Constitution. And the key here is looking for whether or not the Constitution grants Congress or the executive branch the authority to do X. So unequivocally, unequivocally 
the Congress has the power to um, regulate commerce, right? So the, the actual commerce clause says that they can regulate commerce um, amongst uh, the foreign nations, amongst the several states and with Indian tribes. And so is there a place for congression? Does Congress have some authority in regulating commerce with foreign nations and thus the ports? There's an argument there, right? There's some level of regulation that likely is constitutional on that, on that border. What Congress doesn't have the authority to do is to like regulate private companies in that real niche way. So our government was created, the branches of government were created in order, look, we have to look at the declaration, we're created to protect individual right. So the founders and framers thought that some level of, of uh, power or was necessary to imbue and to be granted to a government in order to better protect individual rights, that it would be better for everybody. There's no power in there that says like, federal government, you get to set the minimum wage for people that unload shipping containers, right? What they're ba- that's not within their congressional authority. They don't have the authority to say, look, you're allowed to work company. You're allowed to enter into an, a contract with Jeff so long as you make sure that Jeff gets paid at least X dollars and that Jeff has to wear a hard hat and that Jeff has to wear steel toe boots. It's not Congress's authority. Congress doesn't have the authority to to get into that minutia of the agreement between a private corporation and Jeff. That is between Jeff and that corporation. Jeff gets to sell his labor for whatever he wants to sell his labor to. The company gets to buy Jeff's labor for whatever they want to agree to buy it to. And under any conditions, if the company says, look, at our facility, you don't have to wear hard hats. And Jeff goes, that's really, sure, that's fine. I'm going to wear one anyway. Then they can agree to that. If the company says, you're not allowed to wear a hard hat, Jeff goes, that's stupid. I'm going to go work for these other guys. They'll let me wear a hard hat. I'll be better off. It's up to Jeff to make those decisions. It's not up to some bureaucrat in some second floor DC office to decide under what conditions a port worker in LA gets to to work for. I mean, that's just not the proper role of Congress. See, I, th- I think you make a lot of good points, Cody. I do. I always do. Uh, but I think the balance that some people, including some founders, and Thomas Jefferson is absolutely one of them, to Stanton's earlier point, they did see a danger in what they called back then moneyed corporations becoming equivalent to like an aristocracy. Yeah, which that, 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 just, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I, I don't mean to, yeah. but that's what I mean. Like they were worried about tyranny, period. And at the time, the greatest yes. tyranny was of government, but they had a general apprehension to tyranny on the whole. But sorry, Chrissy, please continue. No, you're totally right. And and I, I actually think that's relevant. I mean, whether we're talking about this specific discussion with supply chains or like big tech companies, and I mean, that's a huge discussion in Congress right now on both sides of the aisle. Like, what do you do with these big tech giants and monopolies and uh, and I think you could point back to Jefferson and some of the other founders' views on moneyed corporations and their desire basically for the authority of the few not to rule over the many's individual rights. And so I think that's where it comes into play. Does government at some point have a responsibility to pass regulations and law that protect the rights of the individual when in context of the 
moneyed, powerful state government, corporation, or some other form of authority, an individual has the ability to stomp over them. And it it is no longer an agreement between two people. There's no longer equal bargaining power between the individual and the company because every single company has decided that none of them will provide safe working environments. None of them will give the individual the opportunity to protect their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So at what point does government have the obligation to step in and defend the few and the weak against the many and the powerful? I think that's a relevant question. Okay. So I, now I, okay. So Stanton, my apologies for not being on this earlier. The moneyed corporations with Jefferson, you're dead on. He talked about this as a concern. Jefferson talked about this as a concern. And this is where I got, this is not, he was not concerned about corporations dealing with people. He was concerned about corporations challenging the U.S. federal government. He was concerned with this possibility of corporations being able to seize and to overcome the U.S. government and thus to be able to enforce their level of governmental rule. So it was, yes, company town, but more so company country was the concern, right? This idea that they could overthrow the feds because they were so powerful while we were so early. Now, here's a, a couple of things, Chrissy. One of the things you said is that you know that they should step in to prevent corporations from violating individuals' rights. Sometimes. 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 Yes. Now, if a corporation is literally um, using uh, unfair practices or is using um, underhanded means to violate individual rights, then yes, uh, uh, the federal government should step in. But like, who defines those underhanded yeah. and unfair? I mean, I think it that's where the government comes in, unless you have a different no. solution. So example, right? If Corporation A says, hey, Jeff, come work for us. We'll pay you $15 an hour and you're going to unload shipping containers. Jeff goes, that sounds great. He comes in, the corporation goes, ha ha, joke, Jeff. We got you here. Now you're a slave. You don't get to leave. The corporation just violated Jeff's rights, right? Like they are right. creating forced labor. That's an obvious one. Mm-hmm. It is not the government's role to decide the appropriate terms of a contract for people. That is not the proper role of government. The government never, ever knows better than the individual what is best for the individual. So in your if, view, could someone contract to be a slave and should the government allow that? So- you can't necessarily contract to be a slave, right? So the, the you I, could if you can contract if you can set your own terms, and the government can't tell you what can be in your terms. You can contract for whatever you want. No, because that's not slavery. If you enter into a contract, indentured then, servitude, right, right, right. That's right. different. Indentured servitude is different because indentured there's so much of a difference between the two. There is in effect, it is slavery though. No. You're uh, you're saying I consent to be your slave. I mean, I would even argue it wouldn't even necessarily be indentured servitude. You could actually, you could, who would, but you could contract to be a slave and say, I contract away all of my rights to you forever. No, I am you your can't. slave. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot contract to slavery because slavery is by definition done without agreement. It's you forcing somebody to do something at your benefit without mm. them. I would disagree. That's, a, that. that's historically not accurate. Like well, you, you, you can even you go, go to ancient Judaism, right? Granted, it wasn't, it wasn't indefinite, but if, if you, if you did something 
to another, like as like a crime, you could pay. If you couldn't repay the debt that you caused harm to, you could repay that debt as their slave, right? You could contract that way instead of being executed. That is indentured servitude. What you're saying is I owe you a debt and I'm going to work it off. Right. So so that's what if you owe no debt though? I'm literally saying if your position is that government has zero business over the terms of any contract, you can contract anything you want. I'm saying, well, then you would have to think that someone could say, I owe you nothing. I have no obligation to you. I just think it sounds cool to sign all my rights over to you forever. Here's my contract, sign it. I'm yours forever. I'm your slave, do whatever you want. Like, obviously who would do that? But I'm saying, take into its logical conclusion. If you can contract anything, what you could contract to let someone torture you. I mean, is that okay? Should the government, I mean, I'm just saying like you could contract, oh, you could sign a contract for someone to kill your husband, your wife. No, now you're violating somebody else's rights. No, 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 no. But then the government steps in and that's my point. They won't allow those contracts. No, that person is not contracting away that they're saying you get to kill X, that you have no right over somebody else's body. You have supreme right and authority over your body. If you want to contract away your rights and say, look, look, I'm going to work for you for free. We call that volunteering. We do that all the time. You agree to give somebody an X X amount of labor and for no return and benefit other than your own benefit. Now, it could there be some instance where you say like, look, I'm going to do this for X, but then the corporation over and then supersedes on those issues. Sure. There can be times when corporations violate the terms of a contract or two people violate the terms of a contract and then okay courts and and law can step in but we don't even need to go to this logical conclusion like they're not sorry not logical conclusion we don't need to go to this like all the way the edge of what this potentially could be because that's not the scenario right the scenario we're talking about is that government doesn't get to decide what stanton and i can agree to if stanton goes hey look cody we're great friends would you mind coming and doing this for three weeks? I can't pay you, but it really helped me out. Sure. No problem, Stanton. If Stanton's a corporation, he's no longer allowed to do that. I can't agree to do this for free unless he's under some you know, specific volunteer agreements, but Stanton can't pay me less than minimum wage for my labor because government says I'm not allowed to take less than minimum wage for my labor. Sure. Well, and I would I would say that's an example of government overreach and an area where government has no business defining the terms. I think my difference with you, though, is that you say government can't define terms ever at all, has no say whatsoever. And I say, well, they do limitedly when they're protecting specific rights of the individual who may become or may inherently be so weak in comparison to the corporation that it's no longer a fair deal. You can't actually bargain. Um, so that so the would federal government should be able to sit, set the minimum wage because it would be unfair because otherwise people would be incentivized to work for less and you'd get a race to the bottom. No, I think there's a whole lot of other argument. Like I think minimum wage is like, honestly, it's own very interesting debate. Um, and there's a whole lot of other reasons why that's not a fair exercise of government. And probably one of the, difficult things about my position that government does have the right to have a say so over some terms of contracts, but not all, is the question then comes up, well, where do you draw that line? What is a protection of individual rights and what is not? What is overstepping? And I would argue that's why government has gone way too far because they always justify it by we're protecting individual rights. We're looking out for the weak. 
So that can that be misused? Absolutely. But is that the right core line and the moral standard that people often violate and government often gets wrong? Yes. But is the opposite any better? Like government has absolutely no say. People can contract for whatever they want. All terms are legitimate. I think that would lead to an extremely scary place as well. Well, but I mean, so a couple things. First, I'm, we're talking about the U.S. Congress, right? So there's a lot of governments in between the U.S. federal government and people. And so do states have additional powers that they can exercise? Absolutely. So these are things that could potentially fall within a state's power. So that's number one. Sure. And I'm saying government in general. I'm not necessarily. Well, so I'm being being very specific about Congress here. This is an improper role of the federal government, right? State governments are a whole other battle. So this is an improper role of the federal because we're talking about OSHA, right? I said ditch OSHA. I said, federal government, get out of the way. So you think federal government has zero right over any terms of any contract anywhere, ever? Federal government only has the right over terms of contract that were specifically granted to the federal government in the Constitution. And so, you know, contract between individuals relating to labor, federal government has almost no authority. Yes. I mean, there are specific provisions in the constitution. These are, these are things that are supposed to be handled by the states and by localities. These are things that are supposed to be addressed by that. But even going to the end of it, look, individuals have the right to govern their own life and livelihood. And I mean, there are, if there are actual unconscionable elements of these contracts that are actually preying on individuals who don't understand the contract that they're entering into, Now we're talking about much more niche, much more nuanced local issues that can be addressed by local courts, not by the U.S. federal government, right? Wouldn't it also like stuff up the court system, though? I mean, I I think that's part of the purpose of some of these laws is because it's so niche because it's illegal. Um, If it weren't and if all these unconscionable terms and violations of individual rights, you know, were not prevented by government laws, you'd see it happen. And you could point to history in other countries where you see it happen all the time, and then it stuffs up the court systems, and they can't deliver actual justice. So I'd argue that's the point of some of these laws is to actually prevent that from occurring. Well, so so something you they're not protecting individual rights, they're violating individual rights. By saying I can't work for less than $7, they're violating my right to well, my that, labor. Yes, I, I think we agree on minimum wage. I, I We agree on that. I think I'm saying... I believe you've said government cannot set terms of contracts, period. And I'm saying, no, sometimes they can win is very specifically protecting individuals rights that they would, they are weaker than a corporation. It would be an unconscionable contract. They cannot fairly bargain because if you don't have certain laws, every single corporation will violate. We've seen this happen in history. Every single factory had child workers, every single Um, manufacturing plant had dangerous conditions. And it did, in fact, take law coming in and stopping that because people could not stop it on their own. This sounds like a micro version of fair trade versus free trade. (laughs) Well, so, I mean, probably not every, so not every manufacturing facility used child work. Not every manufacturing facility had dangerous conditions. We're also talking about looking, using a modern lens to understand what dangerous conditions are in a lot of these senses. 
But the reason I'm using minimum wage is because that's what you proposed. You were talking about slavery. No, 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 no. You're talking about slavery, which means you're talking about wage for labor. That's so I'm literally talking about slavery versus being paid and nothing in between. So I'm that, literally contrasting slavery, which everyone would agree violates an individual's rights at its core versus whatever agreement you want to come up with with getting paid. I am not whatsoever advocating for a specific wage being set by government. I'm literally contrasting slavery with paid labor. So, well, but that is the same thing. So could you enter into an contract? Are you talking about like, literally, like, could you enter into a contract to work for a penny an hour? I think you would, ha- I think you have to have a definition of what slavery is in the law. I would argue that you have to for the individual's right to not be violated and for corporations to not take advantage of people. Well, and so what I'm saying is as soon as you have a contract, you're not in, as soon as X tells Y, I will work for you. And Y says, okay, under these conditions. And X says, yes, that's no longer, that's not slavery. That's an agreement. So, so let's abandon, hold on, let's abandon the, the terminology of slavery versus indentured servitude, because this is, this is, this is, this is now a battle of semantics. Is it acceptable to engage in a contract in which I am paid nothing for life and I must do as this other person tells me? I don't care what you call it. Call it gubla. Is gubla permissible according to your principles? No. If the other person can order you anything about anything about anything, like they literally have permanent and complete control over your life and you signed that away. No. Once you're I, so what do you mean by can order you to do anything for the right? Like they have entire possession over your your autonomy is no longer yours for zero for life. And there's no escape. There's nothing like that. That's probably unconscionable. That's probably something that a state, a local court can deal with and say, like, look, even if I voluntarily agree to the goop law, I mean, you're getting into semantics here, right? We're dealing with like the furthest edge of this. But yeah, that's probably where you're going to have a line. But at the end of the day, so like, why is it so can you do that for a penny? Yeah, so that so that was my next that's my next question. If if zero dollars for life is unacceptable to you. Can I do Goobla for a penny? And no, maybe it's not called Goobla anymore. Maybe it's called Hoobla. I would argue that it's not so much the price that you're being paid nothing, that you're being paid a penny, that you're being paid $5 or 20,000. In my view, it's the complete giving away of all of your rights and that another individual can now, or corporation, whatever, or the government, can now stomp all over every single piece of autonomy and individual rights that the Constitution recognized that you had in yourself as a person. So I think it is literally the terms of what you are contracting away that cannot and should be allowed. That's what I would say. So I think, so we're, we're so far down the rabbit hole on this. When we're talking about ports, we're talking about a specific job right? We're not talking about the entirety of your life and labor. And so we're in a completely like false scenario. Sure. And anyway, does the federal government have the authority to regulate that? No. When you're talking about $0 an hour for entire bodily autonomy, and there's no escape, that is slavery. I will give you that, right? You have entered into a contract for your entire life and labor for $0, right? That is an, that is an unconscionable contract. That is... So there you might get into the federal government realm. 
right? But again, remember, even under the 13th Amendment, slavery is not prohibited. Slavery is allowed under the 13th Amendment. It is uh, indentured servitude, pay without or labor without pay is not prohibited by the 13th Amendment. Right. And so this is something that the federal government might be able to be involved in at that level. What I'm saying is when you enter into a contract for a job, we're not talking about this like hypothetical of every bit of your labor for life, right? It is not the proper role of Congress to enter into and to force the terms of that agreement. And that and, was my statement from the, from the get-go. And the only connection, I said OSHA. Right. And the only connection I would make is that you, you, I don't think, and obviously you can do whatever you want, but I don't think you can actually have the position that government, if you, if you say government cannot set any of those terms taken to its, yes, very extreme conclusion, you get where we were just talking about. Whereas no, I'm no, saying- the U.S. Like, federal government cannot set the terms yeah. of a labor contract between two individuals. Well, except I that believe. you potentially just granted, maybe except in the very extreme circumstances. And all I am saying is, and you and I probably just disagree, which is always fun. Um, I do think that there are certain terms, very few, but certain that they would, they would and should have some say over to protect the individual's rights. And I think that is founded in the basis of the Constitution, where that is the one of the solitary roles of government is to protect individual rights. And I do think sometimes that is as contained in a labor agreement, as contained in a contract between other people. So to our poor listeners, actually to our happy <laughs> listeners, I think you're privileged to hear this conversation. I've enjoyed this immensely and I've been on the sidelines. I dragged them down the rabbit hole. This is definitely my doing. Definitely right? your fault. I definitely, def I definitely dragged you down the rabbit hole to wonderland. Um, but it was for that, that purpose, right? You know, I, I have, uh, you know, a lot of times when I talk about my libertarianism and you know, we get to the conversation of roads and people are up in arms like, no, government should pay for roads. I, I often look and I say, listen, if if the biggest debate in society is whether or not government should have taxes for roads, then I'm living in a pretty good society. If our biggest debate is whether or not this should be a thing right now, then the supply chains could take care of themselves soon, right? But at the core principle is, does government have any power to do anything with the supply chain? I think all of us are in agreement that the government should get out of the way, that they've caused the supply chain problems. I think I don't think any of us are at any disagreement on that level. It's just a matter of what authority can they retain after this is settled with, right? That's, that's really what we're talking about. What authority can Congress retain over the ports, over the supply chain process, once this problem goes away? That's a really the baseline question. And for, for Cody, correct me if I'm wrong, none. For Christy, some. Well, so Congress, I mean, Congress under the Constitution has the authority to regulate commerce with foreign nations. Right. So that means something. So there is some level of authority that Congress has over the ports. Right. Because that is a, a chain in commerce with the foreign nations. That's going to be very limited. I will give you that. That is in the Constitution. Should it be? That is in the Constitution. <laughs> what I will maintain 
<laughs> above and, and all else is that the U.S. federal government, U.S. Congress does not have the authority to enter, to force terms of contracts. And that is not their proper role. States, local governments have powers that are far beyond that of the federal government, and that's appropriate for them to deal with. And Christy, I know you say that it's in the spirit of the Constitution to protect individuals in this right, individuals right, individual rights in these contracts. I, I don't, I mean, maybe you can point somewhere in the Constitution for, I don't know of anywhere in the Constitution that would allow U.S. Congress to enforce these terms and to enforce this level of regulation over Jeff's agreement to go and work for a shipping container company. I mean, I think we're probably getting a little caught up in like, you're probably assuming that I would support more regulations in more terms than I would. I still think it should be very few and very limited. But I think I think just to blanketly say like the government has no business touching this ever just leads down a dangerous path for individual rights. And so do I think there should be a very high standard for the government to directly tie without this exact term people's individual rights that they cannot protect themselves are being violated by this. I think it goes down the monopoly route. It goes down these like money corporations. So I just think my line is it is muddy. I will grant you that, that it's a muddy line, but basically saying like, I'm not, I wouldn't be ready to say, Oh, Congress, federal government get hundred percent out of it. You have no business here. I think you have a limited business here, but you better be able to back it up. And it better be something people can't really protect and defend for themselves. And so I think the opposite is true. I think that by saying that Congress has some sort of undefined role in protecting people from themselves. No, that, not from themselves. Well, you're saying that people can't contract away things, which is protecting them from themselves. Well, I'm making the argument that the other side would be forcing them in effect without some government over terms. Was, the other side would be forcing them because there are no other options out there in the market. Like at some point, it becomes true that when all the businesses and all the corporations and all the individuals, there's no restraint on the terms they can put. There's no longer like any safe contracts that the individual can enter into without agreeing to violate their own rights, not because they want to, not because it's their free choice, but because there's no restraint on the corporations or individuals with more power. So I don't, I mean, I'm not sure I would agree with that as a point of economic principle, uh, just as like in the free market, you know, some company will arise that gives better opportunities to individuals, which is why we encourage free markets. But the other side of this is uh, granting that point is by allowing Congress some undefined role in this in protecting individual rights that at, to the level is, as is appropriate, you let happen what we have now. You let happen, Congress has this ever-growing Leviathan of, look, we, in order to prevent people from contracting away too much, we're going to set a minimum wage. In order from people contracting away their safety, we're going to set safety requirements. In order to protect people from contracting away their weekends, we're going to set working limits. I mean, that is exactly how we have arrived at this point where the federal government has its hands in labor so heavily is by granting this idea that Congress has this 
this pseudo role in the protection of individuals. I mean, again, I, I would say it's from themselves. I understand that you're saying that corporations will be able to like try and leverage, but it's people's decision to, to agree to the terms of their employment. So by saying that Congress has this role in protecting people from themselves, that's what's been used to justify this slow march of federal power. And again, I'm being very careful here to continually say federal and, and congr- mm-hmm. like U.S. congressional. This right. is very clearly not the role of the U.S. federal government. Right. I mean, and I disagree, too, with what goes on now. And, and so, I mean, I think I don't agree that my standard would lead to what happens now because I'm not I wouldn't go that far. I think there should be boundaries and limits. I, I've, I've said I think when Congress gets involved, it should be they should be able to clearly justify it and have clear lines. They don't do that. They do whatever they want because they do have free license currently to or they're allowed to take license and the agencies take it and all these regulations. And I think that's what happens when you have that principle with no definitions, with no boundaries, with no with when you do take the view that you're defending people from themselves, and I don't subscribe to that at all. I think you can live your life how you want to live your life, but sometimes you're not agreeing to it because you want to, agreeing to it because you legitimately have no other choice. And it's that kind of force that I think government should protect the weaker individual from. That was great. That was great. It would be, I mean, for anyone who didn't hear that, um, they both agreed to disagree, which is a lovely, lovely conclusion between Cody and Chrissy. I never, I never get disappointed <laughs> by that. Um, I am just, I am a delightful rabbit to pull you guys down. Wait a minute, um, hold on. Stan's got to sit beside on this. Where, where do you come out, Stan? What are you thinking? You're the, you're the. I, you, hey, listen, economics. I, I threw down a gauntlet question to you and you picked it up and put it back in my hand. So don't you don't you put don't you put that <laughs> on me. I, I threw down a question. I threw it down. So I'm, so where 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 do we where do you fall on this spectrum? So obviously I'm in the like no federal government besides like the bare limit of what like the 13th Amendment would allow or the or the Commerce Clause would allow. Christie's on this more of like a, a con- conscionable contract or something to that effect, right? This idea of the federal government can step in to protect people from like a major monopoly or, or a forced, uh, pseudo forced contract. Where, where would you, where are you, Stanton? Either no form of government is legitimate or all forms of government are legitimate. That's where I'm at. Um, and I know we've talked about that, but every, Every single government, including governments that are built upon the majority, rely upon force. If you have a majority of Americans, and you can even call it a supermajority of Americans, if you have a supermajority of Americans who decide that this is going to be what we're doing, they're backing that up by force. Okay. So either force, and either force is illegitimate, which includes democracy. And includes dictatorships and includes theocracies. Either government, which is always force, is illegitimate everywhere, or we say, yeah, force is okay, which means that every form of force is okay. It's just more forceful or less forceful, right? So I threw down the question, Cody. You said Congress has the authority to regulate interstate trade. And I said, should it? And you just kept right on blowing past me. So then, and that's, you know, 
that's that's my phrase. And I, and I tell this to my government kids because we we talk about the theories of government. Where does government come from? Is it uh, divine right? Is it the evolution? Did it come from the families? Is it based upon force? Is it based upon some social contract? I, I'm of the persuasion that it's force. All government is built upon force. How we wield that force in modern times is really, really important. Generally speaking, from a pragmatic perspective, force wielded by some democratic process has generally become more peaceful, more, prosper, uh, more prosperous, and safer than force wielded by autocrats and, the, and theocrats. That I will not, I will not dispute the results. But in terms of a principled argument of, is it legitimate? I can't answer that unless we have this all or nothing kind of question. I don't, I'm, I don't like the nuance. <laughs> so to bring this back to our ports, our ports and our forests. So supply chains. <laughs> so supply chains. Yeah. Um, hmm. Let's, let's, let's talk about iPencil. I, I don't know if, I know you two are familiar with iPencil. For those of you out there who are not, it's a really quick read. It's written by a, a, a Leonard Reed, um, who founded the um, Foundation for Economic Education. iPencil is an amazing kind of tale. It is, it is a narrative told from a first-person perspective of a number two wooden pencil. And Leonard Reed, through the perspective of this pencil, says, no one person knows how to make me. One person might know all my composite parts and how they go together, but no one knows how to make me. Like the, the men who harvest the wood, they had to have, you know, saws to cut the wood down. Those saws had to be built by other people. Those saws are made of metal. That metal had to be, iron, had to be, had to be mined in iron ores and, and so on and so forth. And he's basically saying the incalculable number of inputs that go into just a simple number two wooden pencil is so vast and so extreme that to imagine that someone could plan a pencil from beginning to end of all of its prior antecedents is nuts. And so from the principle of force versus freedom. Now, we, we now, and I'll put freedom as a general thing, not an absolute libertarian anarcho-freedom. I'm just talking freedom in general. From a freedom perspective, it is that freedom that guides all of these unrelated antecedents together to create a pencil. I mean, am I, am I wrong here? I mean, that's basically what we're looking at right now. Yeah, I mean, dead on. You're talking about this idea that like federal government can step in and fix the problem because, but they don't understand the inputs. They won't let the market solve the problem themselves. They're too busy focused on how to regulate X, how to, you know, be involved in Y and in, instead refuse to allow this market, the market to come up with the solutions for this. Right. And how to find <laughs> any company that doesn't comply with their imposed limits that are not based on what the market understands, what the government thinks it understands. So yes, it's a giant mess. It is. And, it, you know, imagine trying, I mean, this is what the Soviets had to deal with, right? And I know the Soviets are an easy target to pick on because, well, they sucked. But, you know, this, the Soviets tried to orchestrate all those prior antecedents to create food, to create trucks, to create literally anything. And it, it was so hard 
for Soviet central planners to do anything that they could only afford to ever create one brand of a thing. Like who who came to the United States? Uh, which which premier was it? Was it Brezhnev? I can't remember. I think it was like Brezhnev that came over to the United States and he went, he walked into an American supermarket and he saw so many choices for just one thing, like cereal. And he's like, how do you have so many choices? Like, how, how is this possible? Because for him, for the Soviets, it's so difficult just to get one brand of tart of it out that everyone has the same thing, right? So I don't know. I, I'm I don't I'm not saying that our government is anywhere close to a Soviet style plan, planning, but it sure doggone feels like the Sovietization of America is continues to increase every time we have problems like supply chain woes. Yeah, and I think that's the overarching point here, right? That's the takeaway: is the government doesn't know what's best. Government doesn't know what's best for you. Government doesn't know what's best for your family. Government doesn't know what's best for the supply chain. They claim to be experts. They claim to have all this knowledge, but really they just don't, they, they can't possibly know what's best. And that's not even, that's not even damning on them. Like it's not even me saying that they're not smart enough to know what's best. It's impossible for one human being to know exactly how the supply chain to get oranges to the United States to get, I don't mean, what do we manufacture from steel from the United States to, to Russia. And then from, you know, widgets from Russia to China and then goods from China back to the U S it isn't, it is impossible for one person to fully understand and to know every step in every product to get something to the shelves in the United States. What is damning on government is their, their assumption that they can, their assumption that they know better and that they can regulate away any issues, that they can regulate away these efficiencies. And, and that's always going to be my base point is that we'll get better response, we'll get better contracts, we'll get better agreements, we'll get better supply chain when the government gets out of the way. Every time they set the terms, this sets this base level that everybody thinks they should be operating at. And when government just finally just lets people live, lets them live their lives, lets the supply chain solve its own problems, then that's when we'll be better off. When they stop having this self-inflated view of their own abilities and their own intelligence and just let people live their lives and decide for themselves. Chrissy, can you take it away for us and, and, end, and end us off on a really high note? You are, you are the best at at making us feel optimistic and making us feel better about the future. Can you, can you, can you take us on, on a high, on a high note? Ooh, okay. I will try. I do think that, and I genuinely think this, I'm not just saying it to be positive. I, I think that there are more people than before who are considering if these regulations, the over-regulation of government is actually damaging things, who are considering if the government is actually lying to them and telling them it has their best interests in mind when it clearly does not. People who are considering if all the government regulations have led to everything being manufactured overseas and therefore controlled more by government regulations than might happen if things are manufactured here in the US. Um, I, I just think, it might be a little late, <laughs> but there are a lot of people, which include the head of corporations who are moving out of states like California and into states like Texas. 
there are ships that I think it was Cody who said earlier are docking at ports in the Gulf instead of ports in California. Uh, corporations are trying to protect their interests right now against the government, which is in turn protecting interests of consumers and individuals. So I think it might take a whole lot more time than we want, but the American spirit is to innovate. It is to promote freedom. It is to create opportunities and see a way past the problems. So I think we just need to make more people open their eyes and see it, but it's happening slowly. So we just need to speed it up. I like that. I mean, that echoes what I feel. A lot of times, businessmen, entrepreneurs, the market often succeeds not because of government, but in spite of government. So I'd, I, I'd have hope. I Thank you, Chris. That does make me feel better. I do like that. <laughs> I'm glad. Do we have shout outs today? Oh, definitely my husband, because he fixed my microphone for me. And so Chris's I new sound microphone. Better. Yay. Uh, so I, I have a shout out. So uh, one of my best friends is is flying in uh, in the next couple of days to help me celebrate my birthday. So uh, big shout out to Leo for for taking the trip down to help me uh, to ring in my uh, my birthday here coming up in a few days. It'll be uh, it'll be a fun one to have him down here for it. Is he from Canada, like coming down from your I'm old not country? Gonna, I'm not going to disclose what <laughs> country he may or may not be uh, <laughs> entering ours from. Ooh. <laughs> um, I don't know if I have a, a personal shout out. I mean, my wife just got back from uh, the Steamboat Institute's um, uh, kind of le- emerging leadership kind of conference thing. So a uh, shout out to the Steamboat Institute. I, I mean, I don't really have any personal relations to them besides... Uh, Anna, but Steamboat Institute has generally done a really good job with a lot of things. So shout out to them. They're great. I like them a lot. Um, Is Anna aware that you're wearing fingerless fingerless gloves today? She knows damn well because she and my roommate freeze my apartment out. (laughs) Whenever I type or I'm on my phone, I'm I'm like shaky. So I I got these because I, I couldn't bear being cold and they double as mittens. (laughs) <laughs> very classic so nice. i will not be shamed for being warm sir it's a good thing you have those now you won't be able to buy them in a year no <laughs> don't joke all right ladies and gentlemen that wraps it up uh for us here um our next uh episode is going to be our in the news for november um we don't know what's going to be in the news it will likely be forgotten um Oh, and yeah, it'll be self-evident too. So stick around and find out. You can find us on all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at SEF underscore pod. You can listen to us anywhere you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time. <laughs>